Okay, well, I'm recording. So, uh, welcome to this week's Attica Shrug, podcast about culture and politics in the South. And uh, with me, as always, are David Dykes. Hello. And Chad Watson. Howdy, y'all. And I'm uh, West Cheek. I'm here at nice, sunny Kyoto. It's uh, below freezing today. Uh, this being Japan, that means it's also below freezing in my house, which is... I kind of get used to, but you never fully get used to. I'm not crazy about it. Uh, there's the local dog that lets us know when it hits below freezing. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the alarm. The alarm dog keeps it. Through. The the river actually froze this last week, which is uh, very very rare in Kyoto. So my kids got to experience walking on a frozen river, and I got to experience being extremely nervous about my kids walking on a frozen river, which is new. Well, Never done that before. I don't have to. <laughs> I don't have to worry about that. One, because I don't have kids, and two, mm. because I live in Texas. So, there's. I wonder if it's South possible Texas. somewhere in Texas there might be a river that freezes, but I'm oh. guessing it's not in Houston. Yeah, not in Houston. I'm sure, like in like the Panhandle and like up north, like north, I'm sure rivers freeze. And but yeah, in Houston not... they just kind of become solid. They slowly become <laughs> solidified. <laughs> they they kind of become like a gel. They become right. a. Uh, yeah, kind of like a jelly that you can maybe walk on a little bit and you sink a little, like quicksand. They kind of become like quicksand. Yeah. And it's hard to identify if that is uh, petrochemicals or some kind of natural swampification process. <laughs> yeah. kind of, it's unknowable at this point, which it might be. Well, the good thing this week is, uh, one, I'm watching the Saints game while we're recording. So <laughs> I start hooting and hollering. Um, is it, Drew Brees has uh, revealed that he's retiring. So this is his last name, last game in the Superdome. No matter, no matter what happens. Uh, so very depressing for all of us associated with New Orleans, mm-hmm. except for David, who except for David who doesn't watch football. Um, so. <laughs> Archie Manning's retiring, David. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, I mean, uh, yeah, nothing nothing happened in the news this last week. So I guess we're just going to, you know, talk about nothing. <laughs> What's going on out there in the world? Did uh, did Is Drew Brees retiring because this will be the last uh, Americans, the last Super Bowl <laughs> yeah. under the American government? Is that why he is? Yeah, that, that would be less funny if it weren't completely true. <laughs> I guess that's the weird, the weird relationship that New Orleans exists in with Drew Brees. It's like he's... Uh, honestly like just beloved figure like across all sections of new orleans but it's also like a complete dope about anything having to do with politics society any anything like that just a complete complete dope um and that's the best that's the best case scenario he's a dope he's not a stupid guy so he just has you know bad politics but it's weird because he also i think is conscious of like i think he honestly like loves the city of new orleans you know he lives in town is family's very involved uh, i think that he knows that like he's <laughs> at the fringes of like what is um permissible at all so he's not he's not like a jefferson parish he's not like a west bank or like a metairie like full-on freakazoid but he's like you know he's like an uptown republican but that is still a difficult position so i'm wondering i'm wondering like when he retires I mean, I'm assuming they're going to stay in New Orleans because his kids seem like pretty invested in their their school. They go to the most expensive prep school in town, but uh, mm-hmm. the school and like the you know flag football and all that good stuff. But uh, I wonder if he's going to head back out to San Diego, where you can um, much more amenable to being a, a full time Republican. I think. 
Yeah, there's the there's the conservative dog letting us know. <laughs> run for senator. Maybe he could run for senator from. Louisiana. Well, I mean, he could. He absolutely could. And you know, he's from like a big time political family in Texas, right? Like his uh, mom was like, right. yeah. his mom was like uh, county commission and city or like city commission in Austin or something. Yeah. And then he had like a big falling out with his mom about politics. I think she's a Democrat and used him in a campaign ad, and he didn't want to be used in a campaign ad and um that's right yeah Yeah, they're like big time austin upper crust society his granddad's like a legendary coach out there and stuff and like he's not yeah he's from like he's from a really upper crust family in texas austin has an upper crust Oh, I saw a lot of crust i saw a lot of crust when i lived in austin but none of it seemed especially upper well we we went to that whole foods one time i remember Oh yeah, that's true. I did. Go. I yeah. went. Uh, I went more than once. I went probably a dozen times. Well, actually, yeah, with the, with the development, years I lived there. with all the development now in Austin, there is like with the smog, like the smog. There's a it, crust over it. Yeah, and it gets kind of colder, like because you know Austin mm-hmm. is more inland. You know, it does kind of it just does get kind of crusty. The uh, I know <laughs> on the other side of the interstate now, there's a, a heavy crust of gentrification across the whole the whole area. <laughs> Um, apparently, you know, I've said this before on here, like where, uh, I used to live with you, David, apparently you like can't afford the rent in that neighborhood anymore. Like normal people. <laughs> I guess Ray's, um, uh, RVs are all gone from the backyard there. The ra- <laughs> the raccoon, the raccoon infested <laughs> RVs. He had like a, a dozen of them in the backyard. I don't remember how much we pay, but I remember it being very reasonable for a house. Yeah, it was cheap. Yeah. Yeah, not anymore, apparently, at all. Like, and where it used to be like, oh, you shouldn't go on the other side of the interstate. Now, apparently there is like, you can't even get a house on the east side of the interstate. I went there one night with a hitchhiker um, who told me she had left her keys somewhere where she uh, cleaned house. Uh-huh. And um, I took her and I dropped her and then I sort of made this circle. I came back and picked her up was giving her a ride to where she was staying and it was only when she scooched all the way down in the seat as we passed by the cops (laughs) that it even began to occur to me that maybe the story she told me was not the actual story of what was going on she said um well the cops sometimes uh pull you over if they see a white guy with a black girl because they think they're on a date and i realized that what she meant by date was totally different from what I would have meant by the word date. <laughs> yeah. That's also probably uh, probably partially true. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, Austin. So uh, are, do you want to talk about the events of the last week in America, the very exciting events of the last week in America? Is there anything? <laughs> Speaking of Austin, the Capitol was closed today in Austin. The Capitol building was closed. And guarded. <clears throat> I think they are lots of places, probably not in Tallahassee, I'm guessing, but like, um, I, I think it's they're having an open house. Yeah. Please come. Um, yeah. Please, please come, uh, hang out with DeSantis. Uh, yeah. I don't know. There are in lots of places. I know like, I think Wisconsin, I think in Ohio. Um, I don't know. I don't know where else. Uh, Michigan, I, know I would guess. Tennessee is closed. The Tennessee Capitol is closed. Oh, really? So they're not having an open house there. They're not having an open house. Uh, no protesters when uh, the last I saw. Um, I don't think there were any protesters in Austin either. Or, I'm sorry, Patriots. I'm sorry, Patriots. Patriots. There are no Patriots. 
Alex Jones running up and down the street with a <laughs> megaphone. Yeah. What is happening in the background? Is there a... Okay. No. Oh, no. Okay, Rest in peace, David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just went to let the dog in so that we wouldn't have to hear the uh, Republican dog uh, and the football yeah. dog barking anymore. This this uh this narco violence is getting out of control in San Miguel. <laughs> I have a question for you guys and it's uh, I'm there's this territory in talking about what has been going on uh, uh since the sixth that I feel like I'm um, on the verge of, of of conspiracy territory. How much do you think that the Capitol Police mm-hmm. and certain sort of QAnon sympathetic uh, freshman congresspersons mm-hmm. and um, possibly other people were mm-hmm. complicit, not just in fomenting a riot, but in mm-hmm. actually wanting the people who were clearly there to do serious mm-hmm. violence. Like how much you, how far up do you think that goes? So can I give two answers that might contradict each other a little bit, but uh, I'll do that. So well, one, I think all the way, I think absolutely. Um, I think that, uh, who is it? Bobert, the Colorado yeah. uh, crazy person um, tweeting from like the safe room with the location of Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> it's like, I mean, yeah. Uh, come on right um and you know madison cawthorn wheeling himself around the capitol with a gun like i don't like it's it's all very strange and i think but i think this is always the case with these things and it's a very tricky thing that a lot of people either don't get or don't want to get about like white supremacist movements is like um you know how how much does it have to be like written orders or spoken orders or complicity in that way and how much is it just a deep sympathy to the way things ought to be? Like, uh, you know, like, so if, like, where do you draw the line between, like, we can, it's clear, it's obvious to see the different reactions of law enforcement to if these were, uh, you know, it's easy, it's easy enough to say they're black protesters, if they were Muslim protesters, if they were even, uh, let's say, majority white protesters in support of those movements. Um, the reaction would have been different each time, right? We know we can say that easily, and we know that uh, we know that just the the kind of people that I'm doing air quotes of normal, the normal reactions of law enforcement during those cases is just going to be a different reaction, right? They're not going to see certain people as a threat. They don't see white supremacists as a threat. Like I'm saying, they generally, but they don't in the same way they would like a group of of Muslims or black people or people. Uh, supporting leftist causes, right? They're not going to see it that way. So to a certain line, and this is how they get away with so much, they don't need to be complicit in the way that we think about being complicit. They don't need to say, I need you at 915 to open this door, right? They just need yeah. to like not not think about these things in terms of safety or in terms of a, a violent um, recourse or in terms of putting up you know barriers. They don't they think about things laxly and then it always operates as cover for them. But then you also see things like in Washington state where the state representative went and opened the back door for white supremacists to come in and storm it. Right. Like it's on video. He went and opened the back door. Um, so, you know, I think being a white supremacist movement pro- provides a lot of cover in and of itself. Just my kind of contradictory answer. Well, I think a lot of the people in the crowd were just dumbass cosplay 
um, patriots who were like patriots in quotes, but still like they, they were like up for whatever. And they mm-hmm. probably, if somebody had been dragged out, they might've been uh, convinced to be up for a lynching, but Absolutely. they weren't there for a lynching, but there were Absolutely. some people who definitely were there for a lynching. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. they provide cover and, for them. And you see it happen. Like, you know, uh, we don't need to rehash all of it, but we did episodes about when we had a lot of these same people in new Orleans and that's the way they do it. Right. They get this cover of just these absolutely, you see the costumes and the silliness and the flags. And then you have the people who are seriously there to be like violent operatives. And, and they understand that these people are providing cover for them. And then, you know, all it takes in a crowd like that is, is something to go a little bit differently and people respond to those signals. And, you know, I, I really hate the idea of trying to make this, the categories of comparison between like kind of left wing uh, movements and protests and what what happened this week. But I will tell you, like any serious protest I've been involved with in America on the left involves so much organizing and so much going over with people like here kind of the way here are the lines that we're not crossing. Here are the lines that some people are going to cross. Here's this and this and this. I think that um, the right is disorganized in a way that is helpful to them because then they can just say, well, we didn't know that there were people that were going to storm the Capitol. Who knew that? We didn't know that. We were just to yell that um, our government's being stolen for us and that all of the people inside are traitors and criminals and should be hung. We didn't know that people were going to do anything violent, right? And so they're always kind of helped by that, by that sense of confusion. Well, a lot of them seem to be thinking, well, for one thing, using, we were told to go there as a uh, legal defense mm-hmm. and also thinking that probably Trump is going to pardon them. And I, I find that highly unlikely for two reasons. One, just because there's nobody Trump won't throw under a bus and especially yeah. not somebody who's some redneck. He doesn't give a shit about those people. Right. And the other thing is that some sort of blanket pardon is going to definitely implicate him. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I don't think he has like any kind of morals that would keep him from pardoning people. But I think you're right about that is that people are probably telling him like it just it lo- it implicates you more. Like if you come out and and say like, look, these people were doing what I wanted them to do. So I'm pardoning them. Um, you know, then you're putting yourself in more danger. And I think I, I don't know, I hate to speculate about stuff like this, but it seemed like in his really boring drab videos saying to go home, it almost looked like he understood that he might have some responsibility for something that happened. (laughs) For a brief second. Although I'm not sure about regret. Oh, no, I don't think I don't think he experiences regret. I think there's probably regret on the part of his family that he might have just deep six their uh, plans for the next few years of running for office, um, hopefully. But they might run on the, you know, the new QAnon ticket. So who knows? But I think he definitely uh, helped derail Ivanka's um, aspiring political career. Now, you think she wants politics? I mean, it just doesn't seem like there's I, enough money in it. I think I think she does. I think she's really ambitious in that way, and also tone deaf enough to think that um, people care about her. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I agree. And his son, def- I mean, Donald Trump Jr. is definitely aiming for something. I mean, he's talked about Kentucky Senate. I mean, he's kind of 
I, I would say up until this week, he could kind of have his pick of spots he could move and run for office. But we'll see if, if this gets him to – it would be nice if it did. Or it would be nice if maybe it's just a, a split in the Republican Party where um, you have the QAnon people off doing their thing and the Mitt Romney people doing their thing. And maybe they can't can't come together enough to create any kind of uh, uh, coalition, which would be nice. It could almost be something that Democrats could capitalize off of, maybe. Well, well, <laughs> <laughs> that would require like wanting to win and wanting to beat them and all of those things that they seem kind of bad about. Although it seems, you know, hopefully the hope is that we have um, people now who are, are pushing more, who, who aren't as willing to give in. We'll see how much influence and power they have. And hopefully this incident will hopefully anger people enough to make them see that cooperation with with bad people is not a, a solution to anything uh, I and so. i think yeah i hope so too i think that's definitely it seems right now is the republican strategy is to kind of um obfuscate for as long as possible it takes people to forget about this which unfortunately in america is very very quickly um and it seems like that's their whole strategy now is to like do whataboutism and then go just kind of keep saying well well we're ready to heal now we're ready to do this and tell people until it gets to the point where they can say, that was so long ago, why do you care now? Donald Trump's not the president anymore. Why do you care anymore? Yeah, and also the uh, this was false flag, Antifa, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, then you should be really happy to see them all go to jail. Right. Yay. Should, uh, we're, we're, yeah. We are in the same harness. We're pulling the same direction. Finally, right. everybody can get behind, <laughs> yeah. send these fuckers to jail. Right. It's also so absurd, too, because, like, why, I mean, we can talk about this later, but why would anyone who's in an anti-fascist movement, like, show up? Like, why would you be there? I mean, there are people there to document it and see who's there, but, like, people tend tend to have a pretty good sense of their own safety if you've been involved in anti-fascist movements. And I think that running through the Capitol with a bunch of crazy <laughs> people is probably... Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like, where can I best go to jail for federal crimes? Is usually not high up on um, on the list of being an anti-fascist. Top ten places <laughs> to get shot in the face. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it, you know, and it's 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 kind of one of those things that's obvious to us, but then you go on Facebook and look at people, and it's not. It's clear that like Antifa has become just like a blanket cover for anything that Republicans don't like. It's just. Yeah, that's well, it. Even like recently, the uh, it's like the attorney general, that the crazy attorney general of Texas, had said like it's proven, right, right. like we proved it, like we proved it was antifa. So right, better case closed, guilty. He's like an actual crazy person, right? I don't he know enough about him. He is an actual crazy person. Yeah, he is an actual crazy person. He is actually under, like he's under, I think, like under indictment right now for corruption and could go to jail, but he's not resigned and not going to resign. And, you know, and he was also the per he, he sued, um, you know, what is it? He's, he, he was the one that started the, the lawsuit. Like he sued like um, Pennsylvania or something like right. the state oh, of yeah, Texas. He, right. He's responsible. He's responsible for the state of Texas, like suing, I think Pennsylvania. And that was the, you know, all the, all the other attorney generals like jumped on that lawsuit and, that's him. Because that's real yeah. federalism when the attorney general of uh, Texas sues Pennsylvania. Yeah. And he's like notoriously corrupt and he's just gotten away multiple times and he's currently under indictment like for, yeah. Like, What's his name it, again? Uh, Ken Paxton. Ken Paxton. All right. 
So, but that's one uh, of the things. Had, um, <laughs> Go ahead. I was going to say we had um, uh, some standout players in this um, uh, imbroglio. Um, Marsha Blackburn um, showed yeah. herself to be uh, up to par, and Matt Gates. Never heard of him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's really, really uh, been a shining star. Matt, Matt locked the gate. Uh, I, I wish people had been so excited about beating him when I was supposed to run against him. It would have helped. But uh, anyway, we didn't know that at the time, though. We didn't know it was going to be him, yeah. but it would, it would have helped if one person had been interested. <laughs> um, but yeah, Matt, I mean, it's funny. He's like definitely picking his angle now. I'm curious to see what's going to happen because he's gone all in on being, uh, being the Trump's guy. So I wonder when Trump is out of power, like what is Matt's new thing going to be? I mean, he's clearly trying as hard as possible for a national platform. And I think 100% he wants to run for president next time, um, which is going to be hilarious uh, and I, horrible, horrible and hilarious. But, you know, he's. I, um, hmm? I think they're passing out medals of freedom pretty fast and loose. Maybe he's angling for one of those. Maybe with Maybe Toby Keith. Get- he can get uh, uh, Belichick's um, uh, medal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Belichick finally making a good decision for once. But like, <laughs> but like, so I don't want to. I don't want to like make it sound conspiratorial too much. But you know, within the last year, uh, Matt has adopted an adult um, Cuban son and also gotten engaged to be married. And so, if you are a longtime follower of Matt's uh, work you will probably think, huh, that might signal to me that he's thinking about higher political aspirations. Um, <laughs> right, uh, Did he grow a beard? We know it, it's funny because I, I think his uh, fiance's name is Ginger. And when I met my wife, I also had a, a big red beard. I was just thinking about the... Uh, <laughs> Are you are you making fun? Are you making fun of my senator, Ted Cruz, the Honorable Ted Cruz? Ted Cruz's beard. I think I think Ted Cruz comes by his beard. Honestly, I think it's just. I think it's he has a non-metaphorical beard. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure Matt can grow one, so I think he had to. Uh, anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's kind of signaling, and and he's he wants a big national platform, and he's kind of worked hard on it. But it'll be really interesting to see like what what influence does he have when his dad isn't pulling the strings? Cause as I have to say, every time like uh, Matt Gates, dad, Don is far more powerful than Matt. And people just don't seem to get that. Like he controls $1.5 billion in BP oil spill funds, like right now for, for Florida and is in charge of dishing those out. He was also the head of the, the uh, state house in, the Florida State House, and he's a really big deal, and he got Matt the job of being congressman. That's his dad. And so Matt kind of seems to keep looking for new dads. Roger, He was kind of Roger Stone's apprentice for a while, and then now he's all in with the Trump family. So I wonder wonder what's going to happen next. And as I always had to point out, like the funny thing is Matt will get up on the floor of the House and rail about, oh, liberals and Antifa, these progressive communists, and his they all hang out at his vacation home in Seaside and like constantly post on Twitter, like hanging out. And if you've ever been to Seaside, the fruitiest place on earth, uh, Seaside, uh, lives yeah, in a Yeah, I don't know anything house. about it. I can, well, I can vouch for it. You can vouch for it. Yeah. And I, you know, I used to work in Seaside. Seaside was like the new urbanist, um, experimental town, 
uh, near where I live in Florida. And uh, it's since spawned just like tons of horrible uh, development. But it's, you know, it's the town from the Truman Show. It's where everyone has to have like a, a pattern book pastel beach house, right? And uh-huh. so, um, and so his family has their beach house there. And Matt's like, that's where essentially where he is all the time. And he posts to Twitter about, hey, we're playing football at the beach and stuff. And it's like, there that's the place where you don't get the local paper. You get the New York Times if you live there. It's, the, it's like the silliest place in the world. And, you know, it used to be when I was in high school, you know, if you were in this kind of really super redneck area, it was the only place they had a cool bookstore. Um, Sundog Books was a really cool bookstore. That's the only place. Like, that's where I got my like, Allen Ginsberg book when I was like 14 or something. It's where you get like a Noam Chomsky book. It was like that kind of thing. It was like people from New York had vacation homes there. So you could have a little bit of access to cool stuff. Uh, and it's always weird to me. Like Matt himself and his, his person and his family are attracted to that lifestyle, completely invested in it. But then when he's on um, TV, he's like, you know, uh, I'm from Northwest Florida where we, we got a lot of war fighters downrange. And, you know, you just got to kick, kick out these liberals. It's like, dude, you live in Seaside. You live in Seaside with a local grocery store. No one can afford the local grocery store, and their subscription is to the New York Times. That's that's where you are comfortable living. Like, it's such a scam. It makes me. It's it makes me think about the uh, famous beach pictures of the Duck Dynasty guys back before. Oh yeah, and that's in Destin too. And... That's what. Yes, oh, and that's it? in Destin too. That's the hilarious part. Yeah, because all those dorks come on vacation to Destin, and man, I, that is. That's like one of the, I think the four formative documents of like the Trump years is the is the um, Duck Dynasty people's actual <laughs> selves, like what they actually look like and then what they pretend to be. They're uh, you know a very wealthy Louisiana family who grew beards and started wearing camouflage for a TV show. It's you know, and that's who. So and I think that ties back. That's that's so much of like these uh, kind of QAnon people or even the mainstream Republican party, what they are now is just that level of farce, right? Like just of picking out this identity to, to, to pretend to be, and then just, you know, not acknowledging it, that it's pretend at all. It's really real. I don't know if we talked speaking of pretend and sort of uh, AstroTurf sort of things. I'm not sure if we talked about this a couple of months or so back when, um, the surviving Koch brother talked about what a mistake it was to, uh, <laughs> now, to fund yeah. the Tea Party. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it's like he's, re- he's come to this realization that they created this sort of monster that they no uh, longer can pull the strings in a very subtle way about. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny that too, because that's really burying the lead because like for years, you know, uh, social science researchers know this, journalists know this, if you follow these movements, you know this, that the Tea Party was created, not, it's hard to say, because there is a little bit of grassroots at the beginning, but it's an elite movement funded by the Koch brothers, right? And so when he says that, I regret doing this, right? He's he's saying what we've known for years is that this is an astroturf yeah. movement, right? But which they deny and deny and deny. But it was um, complete astroturf. Well, I don't want to say complete. There was if you look at the research, there is this grassroots element that very quickly became an astroturfed, uh, astroturfed elite movement funded by the Koch brothers. Um, Yet another way that we're like um, Venezuela. Yeah, yeah, uh, and not in a good way, not in all the good ways. Um, not like just we our voting machines. Yeah, we <laughs> could. Yeah, we could at least nationalize, at least nationalize the oil industry if we're going to do that. Um, <laughs> But 
but was the but the thing it, this is, reminds me the thing with the Koch brothers it reminds me so much of like do you remember like the last days of the George Bush presidency when all of a sudden everybody was like oh well you know I never liked George Bush in the first place like when his popularity was in the tank when the Iraq War was seen as a huge costly mistake right all of these things and then all the conservatives were like well you know one either well i'm kind of a libertarian or two uh bush bush was a liberal which people forget that was at the end of the bush presidency that was the republican <laughs> talking point was that bush was actually never a real republican he was a he was a liberal um or oh i, n- I never really liked george bush anyway which i think was my dad's thing after he had voted for him twice and been all in for him for eight years right uh and you know i talking to my mom this week our our Trump fan neighbors uh, have decided they don't like Trump anymore after voting for him twice, right? And he'll vote for the next Republican, whoever it is, I'm sure. I mean, that's kind of me. I kind of feel bad for voting for Trump twice, too. (laughs) Well, what I feel bad about is that uh, when Bush was on the way out, I knew those people were going to vote for the next uh, Republican, but I was like, well, I mean, it can't be worse than Bush. What's the worst that could happen? But, you know, it's, that's a weird debate, too, because I think Trump is horrible in different ways than Bush. Um, he didn't kill a million Iraqis, which is what he's got that going for him. Right. Like that's we can say that for Trump. But we have to put a check in his scorecard as that. And I think one thing, too, like Trump's like kind of unique horribleness as a person and his complete disinterest in government and stuff has helped to cover like how many ways that that Bush was just absolutely vile. Right. Because. Bush was vile using the kind of traditional instruments of government, um, using respectable, using, I say, uh, utilizing respectable, in air quotes, people like, you know, Colin Powell and stuff to do this work, whereas uh, Trump just says, fuck it, and does what he wants to, and, you know, at least, I I guess, you know, he's killed 400,000 Americans, so we can... Yeah, so so Uh, Bush... Bush has the internet. He's got the international body count. Uh, right. Trump's got the national body count. The national body count. And he's got kind of a secret international body count because, like, it's kind of fallen out of the news, but, like, he's kept up the drone war. Like, uh, it, it intensified the drone war. And, you know, operations in the Horn of Africa. All of these, like, little things keep happening. And also doing nothing about the situation in Yemen, which is, you know, uh, ghastly. Just an undescribably horrible situation, right? So... Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to pick your, to pick the biggest villains here and also just like eroding. I I mean, what, we still don't know what is the fallout going to be from just the complete insane conspiratorial thinking, conspiratorial thinking of the, of the Trump years. We'll see, I guess. Well, I think probably we can say that Bush did more to end democracy abroad and (laughs) Trump did more to end it domestically. Yeah. Well, as long as it ends, that's the important thing. That was uh, that was Bush's goal. He wanted to spread the end of democracy abroad. That was. <laughs> we don't, you say like uh, we've got so we've got Matt Gates implicated. We also have uh, Chad's neighbor um, Dan Crenshaw. Yeah, uh, my boy. Yeah, your boy Dan Crenshaw made this insane promo video for the Georgia <laughs> special elections. David, did you see this video? The Crenshaw video? No, I didn't. Oh my! Goodness. Oh my lord! We will have to uh, hook you up with a link for that. Yeah. But I know you Im- don't. I know you don't like superhero movies, but you like. <laughs> <laughs> it's his promo for the Georgia uh, election, where it involves a British woman in his earpiece <laughs> telling him about his special mission, which he then jumps out of. This is actual footage. Jumps out of the back of an airplane, 
parachutes into a field in Georgia where Antifa are carrying a stakeout in a car in a field in Georgia. The woman in the, I'm not making any of this up. The woman in his earpiece tells him that uh, it's not safe, so he should avoid that field. He says, no, no, I'm going in. Lands on top of the car, punches through the windshield, and beats up Antifa, and then says that... Uh, that it's that they have to win in Georgia, and he's there with Loeffler and uh, Purdue to win Georgia, right? But the it, it was funny. It was kind of funny because it's so stupid. But then in in the wake of what happened at the Capitol, like it's like, well, look, these people have been being fed this kind of paramilitary identity for years now. Of look, we have to go and stop this. Uh, you know, our enemy Antifa are there uh, and you, instead of avoiding conflict, have to go like beat them silly. And then Dan Crenshaw releases a statement. What do you say in a statement, Chad, this week? Like, oh, I don't, I abhor the, the violence at the Capitol. Yeah, he said abhor the violence. And actually he had a really good tweet. I, it was like, uh, while it was happening, while the tweet, uh-huh. while the violence was happening, it was like, come on guys, chill out. Like that was, <laughs> or like some, it was like something like that. Like, come oh, on, man. like chill out guys. That's yeah, someone then, who's been trained in de-escalation right there. And then, oh, yeah. like, yeah, like, then he released his statement, like, yeah, I, I abhorred the violence. And and then also, during the uh, the impeachment hearing, also, he had said, like, I guess this has been, like, last, in the last session, he had said that only cowards vote by proxy. Right, uh, right, right. Yeah, right. and then he voted by, voted then by he voted against impeachment, but he voted by proxy. Like, he didn't by even, proxy. like... Right. Well, to be fair, he, he was trying to get there as quickly as possible, but kept going in a circle. <laughs> I think, um, well, two things. A, that sounds like a superhero movie I can get behind. <laughs> and B, I think that the roots of that, of that ridiculous paramilitary stuff um, kind of goes back to Jack Abramoff, Ralph Reed, Grover Norquist, those guys in their college Republican days and um, uh, the um, sort of pseudo Iran Contra uh, cosplay that they did in Washington back in those days and uh, uh, just really elevating the military talk and military metaphor of uh, how much Democrats are the enemy. You know, there's a, a, a clip that I can't remember where I saw it about. Uh, Abramoff and the college Republicans, in order to join, you had to recite the famous speech from Patton, except um, change the word Demo- or the change uh, change the word Nazis for Democrat. Uh, oh. yeah, I think when I was in high school or college, I can't remember. I think my sister gave me the Richard Slotkin book, uh, Gunfighter Nation. Do you know that one? It's a, it was the I end don't. of his. Tr- it's the end of his trilogy. Is Gunfighter Nation, the myth of the frontier in 20th century America. And it was a trilogy he did called Regeneration Through Violence um, about like uh, the, how the frontier and the myth of the frontier uh, was essential in kind of modern American identity. And one of the things that always stuck with me from that book was saying that this, the idea of like the preternaturally talented gunfighter figure that is in like all of our Westerns and kind of in our, and is our superhero movies too. Like this person who has this ability to do violence, kind of the um, Mel Gibson and Rambo. Lethal Weapon kind of character. Rambo, yeah. Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon. All these, like it, 
it didn't really exist in media in that way before the Vietnam War. Like he examined like all of these Westerns back then. And the the hero of the Westerns wouldn't really be like the sharpshooter or like the guy who could just like, do, it would be kind of an interesting character, but but not really with a preternatural vi- ability for violence, right? It's his point. And that throughout kind of like post-colonial stuff, Vietnam War era, when they're, when there's trying this ramp up of like kind of special forces or doing more with less or this kind of very focused violence, like this kind of mythology just takes hold in America that, um, you know, this, this kind of person with the ability to do violence. And I think, is it him or somebody else uh, brings out like the, the, the man who knows Indians becomes like this kind of character too, where you, uh, <laughs> right. You are the person who is able to do this because of this special experience and stuff. And you can kind of see that, like, I mean, and this was, I remember thinking when, uh, after nine 11, when we started to go back into, uh, Iraq and back into the middle East, I remember, you know, cause growing up around a lot of Vietnam vets, I thought, one of the really horrible effects is going to be from this is when it's over, if this one's ever over, I don't know, is going to be, again, this kind of divide, this people who think that, um, one, we got a raw deal, but two, like this kind of violence, this is the way that like these kind of uh, military tactics are also this kind of thing that that should be our politics at home, right? And, and should be kind of our ability to do violence should be a special characteristic of our politics at home. And you can see it so much like it's hard if you watch the, 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 the uh, I don't even know what to call it, the lynch mob at the Capitol. Like, can you separate out in there who is a veteran return from war abroad and who's like someone who fantasizes about that? I mean, they wear the same clothes. They act the same way. They say the same things, right? It's very strange. Well, I think about like back in the 70s, we had um, the outlaw Josie Wales and um, uh, the Civil War veteran who returns before the veteran, before we could quite talk about that, we set it back um, in uh, the Civil War uh, Uh with uh, Jeremiah Johnson and um, uh, yeah, outlaw Josie Wales. But if you go all the way back, like Natty Bumpo is sort of like that. He's the guy who knows. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Natty Bumpo. Yeah, I think Natty Bumpo is the um, kind of the the template for that character, the man who knows Indians kind of character. Where I mean, I'm sorry, I should have said these are two different things. The the kind of preternatural violence character that we see emerge is kind of around the Vietnam War and Richard Slotkin's theory, and this kind of man who knows Indians is kind of the eternal American character, the Natty Bumpo character. Where um, where I guess is one way to like kind of uh, rationalize colonization, right? Like these are savages. Uh, we have to discipline these savages, but also I, I understand them, um, how it works. And that was kind of Dick Cheney's during the, um, the Iraq war was we have to have these people who, you know, understand the Middle East who are able of doing these things. I was about ready to say that Natty Bumpo would be a great drag or hip hop name. And then you mentioned Dick Cheney and I'm like, you know, the, the <laughs> conservative world is just full of, um, uh, uh, possibilities. Hogan Gidley. <laughs> <laughs> Who were the guys there? Oh, I wish I could, there was a whole list of them. Like, because Hogan Gidley is like President Trump's spokesperson now, right? The one who said he's the most masculine president of all time. <laughs> uh, and then, but there's like three other people in that, 
circuit who have very similar names. It's like O'Hogan Gadley and then like Gogan Ridley or something. <laughs> <laughs> they all have the same names. Uh, but I, that one too was crazy. They're all, they're all crazy people. We know this, but like the um, Hogan Gadley, like any, any dialogue you have about who's most masculine is going to be a stupid diet. Like you already know from there, it's going to be a stupid conversation, but the, I don't know what it is this projection on Trump of kind of being of, of whatever your ideas, your constructed ideas about masculinity are projecting them on him just seems so utterly weird to me. Like people project it on Teddy Roosevelt, who is, who is, you know, in many ways, such a horrible, horrible character, Teddy Roosevelt, because he was very physical, right? He did lots of adventurous yeah. things. Um, I would cite like, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln was a, a champion amateur wrestler who people would come from like counties around to watch him because of his, abnormal strengths and stuff like that so if you're putting those values in like i can see it like i don't think that's a great way to construct masculinity but i can see it uh with trump like he's just a bumbling dolt like what is it i guess you have to project masculinity on a leader for some people like i don't get it well it's like, i think uh lindsey graham did a lot of wrestling um i, I, I know yeah. jim jordan was involved in wrestling i mean if jim wrestling jordan was involved in so many ways, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, wrestling, I mean, we could do uh, several episodes on constructions well, of masculinity in wrestling. I think he was implicit. <laughs> I think Jim Jordan was implicit in wrestling. I think much like, yeah, much like uh, John Goodman in uh, Barton Fink was into wrestling. <laughs> I think that, um, he was into wrestling. I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's a lot there. Well, so also from, from uh, I'm sure from everyone's hometown, there's been some stories, but there's been these stories from from the panhandle about this organized group that went up uh, to the to the Capitol. And like the paper kind of did a story for him. And at first they were really excited about it. And, like this guy that Josh, I want to say Josh Hawley, but that's a different guy. Um, this this local guy to Fort Walton uh, was just posting giddily on Facebook. Like, Here's the links to this newspaper story about us at the Capitol. And then, you know, I think dawning on him very lately how serious it was because he was saying like, look, look, uh, I didn't go into the Capitol. I wasn't part of all that. And then one of the videos on his Facebook page is him on the steps of the Capitol saying, hey, look, we're at the door. Um, and then he said, like, I, well, you look, I didn't go there like thinking about prepared for violence. And then you go to his Facebook and it's him preparing like uh, tear gas treatments, like first aid kit full of like being treated for tear gas. And then also him, like, shooting his pistol, training with his pistol. And it's kind of like, well, you know, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know exactly. But I think so many of these kind of local Republicans operate where that is just, like, normal. That's normal to, like, believe that everyone is a criminal and a traitor. Who's outside of your political movement is a criminal and a traitor. And, it's, and that I think the important thing, especially these white supremacist movements, is that you are the person in a position of authority who is in charge of solving this problem right like this it's up to you and it's okay if you do it because you are the one who authority has to be cleared through right like that's the that's the kind of infectious thing i see in so many um conservatives that that this real belief that you are the person who gets to sign off on how society works anyway yeah the um um i don't know it's 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 pretty creepy how many people well i think some people are starting to turn and the the sixth was uh, a kind of a wake-up call but it's it's very creepy to me how many people given a little bit of time are finding ways to digest it 
and to make Absolutely. some sort of narrative around it that makes it all okay and that makes it the exact that um, storming the Capitol, mm -hmm. threatening to murder the vice president and right. trying to stop democracy from working uh, is the moral equivalent of burning down a closed target because you're pissed off about democracy not working that those are both exactly morally equivalent well um there was yeah. a i guess like in houston there was a police officer who was like an 18 he's been on the force for 18 years but like he was filmed at the capitol and like it he's been recorded at the capitol and he was just like i just got caught up in the moment i just got caught up and and uh, like I was just I didn't know what happened. And just next thing I knew, I was in the Capitol building. But then it is like the same thing. Like, you know, he recorded himself like, you know, getting ready and, you know, doing all this stuff. And and of course they fired. I mean, they fired him. He was, you know, like a very venerated police officer in Houston, PA and Houston PD. And but then, of course, you know fired. what the irony, the irony there is, is like, do you think at any moment during his police career, if he caught like a young black kid doing something and that kid said, I just got caught up at the moment. You think he would have said, oh, okay, <laughs> All right. you know, uh, I'll let you go. And it's the same with that dipshit air force officer. We should do, I want to read the thing about him. Uh, we'll record another one sometime, but it just reads like, you know, everyone I grew up around where he, yeah. it's so funny. He got identified on the floor of the house because he was so clearly an air force officer. He was doing air force officer hand gestures. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But he's holding the 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 handcuffs, the zip tie handcuffs. And when asked about it, he was like, oh, you know, that was a mistake. I picked them up off the ground and thought I would hand them to the first police officer I saw because that seemed dangerous to me. It's like, you know, who, okay, <laughs> how many people do you know uh, who it would have been helpful at some point saying to a police officer, this is not mine, I just found it, right? I mean, <laughs> that's like one of the most common, right, hey. You know, hey, look, officer. Uh, you know, I, you found I, me with this, but uh, I was just looking you know, to hand it I off. I just to you. got. I have to say, like, I was there. I got caught up in the moment. You yeah. know, we went to Home Depot. We bought a bunch of lumber. You know, to build the uh, the stand, the scaffold, uh, gallows, the scaffold, scaffold gallows yeah. for for the traitor Mike Pence. And I just, I got caught up. I, I don't know. I was there. You know, they we needed to go in halvesies on the lumber, and I was like, sure, <laughs> take my credit card. And next thing I know, like. You yeah. Know. Yeah. I mean, I oh, was just think about when that guy's an air that guy's an air force officer, right? Think about if an enlisted man on his base got caught with weed, right, and said, "Oh, look, sorry, officer, uh, I was I found it on the ground. <laughs> I thought it looked dangerous for this bag of weed to be out here on base, and I thought I should hand it off to the MPs when I ran into them." And he's like, "Oh, some yeah, guy came sure. running past me, and he yeah, shoved on. this." He shoved this crack, he shoved this rock right down the front of my pants. Yeah. And that's how it ended up under my balls. That's, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I've never really seen it. I didn't even know what he was putting down there. Yeah, who could know? I mean, I know it looks bad. I know it looks bad for me to be here with this pipe in my hand. Uh, but, but I just had know. it, I just had it to hand over to you. Right, well think about what would happen if someone actually dangerous had found it. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. It is so, so bizarre about them. But that's what I mean. Like these people think they believe honestly that they are the authority that everything has to go through and that it's OK for them. I mean, that's that's what I mean about these things being easier for like white supremacists to pull off because they're they just have that belief and people react to them having that belief. Right. And it's so bizarre to me. Like I was, you know, um, 
I've been involved in a lot of protests where I've been on kind of like the security detail and you go through so much preparation with people before that, right? Like so much like here, here, here is like what is not acceptable. Here is what we don't want to do. And when you're a security at a protest, it also means that you are in charge of de-escalating people who are there with you, right? Like if you see some something crazy happening, and it depends on the protest, right? But oftentimes you are. And so for these people to just say like, uh, well, you know, I just got caught up. I just got caught up. Well, then, like, who is responsible then? Who, who was organizing this? Who, who was making sure that you didn't just get caught up on what was going on, right? That seems important. I am hoping we can talk about um, um, this guy. About, yeah, I want to switch uh, to that. And I think this is a good segue to it because, like, we look at this mindset and we can just say it's isolated in this. But I think that this piece on Marivel is just, like, illustrative of this fucking mindset where like everything has to be approved by me movement conservative so you want to introduce this piece david or so uh there's uh, mark pulliam and he has a piece that recently um appeared in the federalist and somewhere else and then i my understanding is i think he was on fox and friends yesterday based on this piece oh, that he wrote Lord. about moving to blunt county where i'm from uh, to Maryville, and uh, the name of the piece is Leftists Are Colonizing Red Towns Like Mine, and Local <laughs> Republicans is. Are Clueless. And yeah. um, uh, the subtitle is Complacency is a Problem for East Tennesseans. They are so used to Republicans winning elections that they falsely assume victory is automatic. It's not. And I just want to, well, I kind of want to go off a little bit. Like the short version yeah. is, this man is a shit stained carpet bag. He's like just such a piece of crap. He he closed on his house in Blunt County October 31st, 2019. That's how much oh, it's Lord. his it's town. Like yeah, it's yeah. like he's lived there for a total of 18 months. Right. Um he moved there from Austin after practicing law in California for 30 years. And I have nothing against Californians moving wherever they want to move. But moving in and saying, this town isn't what it's supposed to be. It's not as conservative. You know, it's like we sided with Lincoln in the Civil War. We were pro-union, anti-slavery, progressive then. I mean, not everybody uh, fought for the union. Uh, some didn't fight as, at all, as a matter of fact, because Quakertown was in Blount County. It's called Friendsville now. And they were pacifists who operated a stop on the Underground Railroad. It's like Blount County has a long tradition of um, of political difference, yes, but there's a lot of Democrats, a lot of progressives, a lot of uh, my uncle Jack Dykes, a big organizer in local democratic politics and at the state level. I'm named after my cousin, David Ballard, who was uh, a Democrat, elected the first DA, served from 77 until he was too sick to serve anymore in 90. Um, and he always said he was uh, elected by Republican butts because everybody would say to him, well, David, I'm a Republican, but I, I voted for you. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's like we've been around a long time. His main complaint was some speaker who came to Maryville College who he said was supposed to be a religious studies teacher, but talked about Marx, because I think that Mark Pulliam thinks that religious studies means right. Sunday school. I think um, so. That, you know, that religion has nothing to do with Marxist theory. 
And Maryville College, he's saying, you know, that it's being infiltrated. It right. was, it was, uh, they had allowed black and white students to enter from their founding after the Civil War. They did it again until the um, laws were uh, passed, the black codes were passed, and then they split their endowment to endow a um, African-American school so that African-Americans could still go to school, even if the law prevented them from going there. Uh, 2004, this is like on, uh, this is from um, Wikipedia. In 2004, Maryville College was recognized by the Race Relations Center of East Tennessee for its history of contributing to improving the quality of life for all in East Tennessee. If he just looked on Wikipedia, then he would have known not to move to my fucking town. Uh, yeah. It's very frustrating to me. Uh, well, he also, if, that, yeah. If he yeah. looked at Wikipedia, he would realize that one of the uh, notable alumnus of uh, Maryville College is the founder of the Japanese Communist Party. <laughs> and, and yeah it's like uh, or that i don't know that maryville is not like maryville is not out in the middle of nowhere like maryville is i mean it is a small town but i mean it's close proximity to not i mean knoxville. knoxville close proximity to oak ridge i mean i mean you know there are people that work at oak ridge national laboratories you know it's yeah not, i mean if you wanted a small town, I could give him a small. I got a small town. <laughs> right, yeah, move to Harrogate. Yeah, I could. I could sell my house. I could. Uh, I know a guy that could sell my house in Tazewell right now. Yeah, there's no. Um, you'll never have to hear a Marxist talk for the rest of your you, life. Ever. Well, but then he'd run into like a mine organizer and like freak the fuck out. <laughs> like, what would he do? Say <laughs> so these have, carpet baggers coming in and trying to organize some mines. Yeah, they have a socialist uh, thing office here called the Black Lung Department. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, you know, and that's one. Of, well, a few things about that. I was saying on Twitter about this. One of the weird things to me is like when I was um, growing up and going up to, to camp, like that area to me seemed like a bastion of liberalism compared to like where I was from. Right. Like Maryville seems like an oasis. Knoxville seemed like an oasis. Right. Like compared to and compared to a lot of places, it is right. It's. It's ridiculous. But this mindset is insane. And this is these are the people, this is Matt Gates' constituency are like this, right? These are the people who moved to Florida from wherever they are, like upstate New York, a lot of them are, are places wherever they retire from, where they envision the South roughly or the countryside, whatever, as being their conservative fantasy. And they insist that that either what is what it is or what it has to be. And we've talked about on here a lot, like, you know, the area I'm from was reliable FDR Kennedy voters and people from up north move there and, you know, with lots of racial problems, but people from up north move there and insist that like, uh, who are these, who are these liberals trying to change who we are here? It's crazy. And like, you know, I think this to connect it back to what we've been talking about all day, these are these numb nuts that you find at the Capitol, right? Like these kind of, I'm a lawyer from California who moved to East Tennessee and was dissatisfied to find out there's a library. <laughs> yeah, and the, the library is actually helping homeless people. That's why I moved right. out of California, because right. the so homeless are a blight. It's like, geez. Right. Well, and, then, yeah, and I, I love it. He, yeah. he calls the local newspaper um, uh, left wing, and it's, right. you can imagine anything right. but that. But the fact that they're not 100% all the time completely in the pocket of the Trump version of Republicanism 
like for him in order, you know, there's no shades. He's like a lot of modern conservatives in that if you're not hard, hard right Trump Republican, everything else is liberal. There's no such thing as believing that you should have some Democrats and some Republicans so that you actually have representation for the 30 to 40 percent of the county that is Democrats. No, if you have 60 percent uh, Republicans, they should be finding some way to gerrymander their way to an absolute 100% mon- majority. Well, and that's their biggest, I think their biggest like tool they've used over the years is that anything that is not movement conservative is liberal, right? And now I suppose it's Antifa or Marxist, right? Anything that's not movement conservative. So it allows them to kind of discipline uh, their followers, and then also to just make ev- everything, everything part of their movement, right? A library is too liberal, right? A library. And it's really ironic. He says in here, like, um, he's upset at Maryville College because they're, the religious studies teacher is talking about Karl Marx rather than Jesus Christ. And then a few paragraphs down says the local library is helping homeless people, and that makes him crazy. <laughs> like, which, what is it? Like, what is it? It just doesn't. It doesn't, God, it's insane. I mean, it's absolutely, and then again, like you said, he just moved there. He just yeah. moved there and is going to tell you what's what. And he uses I, the word colonizing. Leftists are colonizing red towns like mine, the town you just moved to. Yeah. I've got to say my, um, I don't often think that my siblings would be uh, uh, great guests on the show. Uh-huh. Uh, because for one thing, they wouldn't talk on something that was going to be broadcast. Um, But my sister um, talking about people who move in and try to impose their idea of how things are supposed to be on local people, she can wax pretty eloquent about that. (laughs) Uh, But even we might have to bleep it. Um. (laughs) You know, when when I was growing up, my, my dad used to have this hat, which I... Half of me thinks is horribly racist in its sentiment, or not even, not maybe, probably racist in its legacy and horrible. But then half of it also agrees with, which is, uh, well, keep the South beautiful, put a Yankee on a bus. Um, yeah. <laughs> and like, if I could, that wasn't that, nearly as bad as I was afraid it was going to be. <laughs> I wouldn't have said it, right. but like, if I could purge that of its racist, implied racist history and just mean it in terms of these, like, uh, conservative gentrifiers, then I would I mean it completely unironically. Like, because I mean, that's uh, I, I, so I'm very anxious to see this documentary that um, the New York Times has put out about the villages in Florida, where it's like, this is like, this is where political control is being contested. You have these people just move in and just uh, assert that um, movement conservative has always been the political belief of this area. And if you are from here and differ from those beliefs, well, that's uh, you're the colonizer. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Nuts. Which is nuts. Oh man, the Saints game is stressing me out. Have, um, uh, I, I don't know if I've mentioned yeah. it before on this show. It's one of my favorite pieces. When Stephen Colbert used to have the Colbert Rapport, there uh-huh. was when he was still really funny. Yeah, there was <laughs> a um, uh, the people who are ruining America episode uh-huh. about. Um, Um, A guy who was the gay mayor of a small town in, I think, eastern Kentucky. Oh, yeah. I think I know where you're talking about. Did you ever see that one? I did see it. I know it, yeah. Maybe. Yes, I think so, but it's been a while. Yeah, it's a brilliant uh, piece. Oh, I do remember. 
and he like kind of just like walks around like everybody kind of really likes him and like oh yeah he's kind of a weirdo but we were he's our mayor is he the guy yeah and he's the best mayor we ever had uh johnny cummings is his name i think and um um yeah the people who are destroying america johnny cummings anybody who gets a chance to watch that it's a very it's probably the best piece uh, that I've seen about the South maybe ever on um, um, mainstream TV. Yeah, um, and I don't want to... It, it deals with them in their sort of... that They're harder to put into a category than you think they are. Right, and I don't want to gloss over too much, but that's one thing I miss about the town I grew up in, the way it was, was, you know, it was kind of stiflingly conservative in so many ways, but then it allowed for exceptions and weirdness and people to be outside of that and still be a part of it. Right. Like it wasn't, you know what I mean? Like there was, yep. um, and I feel like these dolts, like this guy, like this, uh, Jeff Pulliam, Mark Pulliam guy, like just don't get that. And they don't have any room for that. And that's kind of the way the Republican party is now in my hometown is there's just, there's just no room for anyone interesting or different. There's just just kind of bloodless political control, soulless political control is the only the only thing that's there. Yeah, um, I think that's bad the guys case. Live in the city. Good guys live in good guys live out in the country. Bad guys live in the city. Right, right. In the right. big city. In the big city. Right, and nobody from the country ever moved to the city, and nobody from the city ever moved to the country. It's amazing. Never happened. Never happened that I know of. Yeah. But somehow Trump got the soul of a country boy even though uh, he was born in the Bronx. <laughs> well, the Bronx, that was like a small town. Like when he, when he was born. Was there, Queens. <laughs> that was a small town. Oh, Queens. Queens. Yeah, I think you're right. It was Queens. Queens. Yeah, he'd be cooler if he's from the Bronx. <laughs> Staten Island. Yard. Yeah, well, he's a very, I think he's a very Staten Well, Staten Island, he would have had to like beat up some more people. Well, I think that's a good place to, uh, to end it for this week. So it's nice to talk to you guys again. I'll see you next time. All right. Good Who to dat? talk to you. Who dat? Who dat? What? Who dat? Down with Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Down, down, down with Tom with Brady. Him. Who dat? And, uh...